I'm Joe Siegel, founder and CEO of Aspire Legal Solutions and My Land Trustee, the largest and fastest growing land trust company in Florida. Our passion is helping people aspire to a better life. One of the many ways we do that is by helping them remain anonymous when it comes to their real estate holdings as they build their wealth. But it also extends to everyone else we touch each day. We're fortunate to work with some of the most successful entrepreneurs in the country who share our mission of aspiring to a better life, and we hope others will benefit from hearing their journeys, tips, strategies, and tactics to get there. We ended up doing nine 1031s in 2022. We call it our our real-life monopoly year because we basically took four green houses and bought red hotels. It's been tremendous. It's been life-changing. Greg Bond is a successful commercial real estate investor and property management guru. He started out in his family's map making business, but when technology made paper maps obsolete, Greg learned how to educate himself on new ideas so he's comfortable with taking risks. He started out in residential, but he's quickly shifted into industrial real estate using 1031 exchanges and accelerated depreciation to maximize his return on investment. Hey, I'm Joe Siegel. We're here today with Greg Bond. Uh, Greg's been a friend and a client of ours for a long time. And I've also, like many of the others in the master series, I've seen Greg grow and change his business model over the years. So today I want to talk to Greg about uh, where he was, where he is, and how he got there. Um, so Greg, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, how you started out and to where you're, what you're doing now, where you are now. Yeah, Joe, uh, like, a, like a lot of other people, started out in single-family homes, right? I went to a, um, uh, an event at church. It was, uh, um, God, I can't even think of the name of it now, but it was like, it was a pre-Dave Ramsey-type um, class where live below your means, invest the difference type thing, right? Stay out of debt. Um, it, was called, it was called Crown Ministries. And that really got me thinking about homes because I, the instructor said, your home is your best investment. And while I don't necessarily totally agree with that now, uh, it really got me thinking that if your home was your best investment back then, I was thinking, why isn't two homes or three homes or five homes or 10 homes even a better investment? So Jane and I, when we first got married, decided that we were going to live well under our means. We were going to live on my income and bank her income for investment purposes, but we had no idea what to invest in. So, you know, growing up in both similar situations, uh, you know, lower class homes with, you know, parents that didn't have much extra capital to invest. They didn't never invested themselves. They didn't know how to teach us to invest. So we came up with this crazy idea of buying a rental house with that investment money. And one turned into two, turned into five, turned into 10, turned into 20. And before you know, we've got quite a portfolio in single family homes. That was back in the nineties. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it turned out to be one of the best decisions we've ever made. Um, because those houses have, have just propelled us forward. You know, my, my initial thinking was that I just hold those, I think we ended up with about 30, um, by 2001 and, uh, those 30 homes, I thought, well, if I can manage them and keep them full until we retire, 30 rental homes will throw off a, a really nice retirement income. And, uh, so that was the whole goal was just to keep those houses rented and, and, uh, and, throwing off cash until we retire. And then once the mortgages are paid off, they throw even off more cash. And, and that's what uh, provides for the retirement. So that's, that's really what got us going. Um, so we, 
at that point I was in the mapping business. So I was, my father had started a map business in 1976, paper-based maps, where we drafted maps, uh, published maps and distributed maps. The paper-based maps, uh, we were one of the major suppliers to AAA. And then we did use the data to make wall maps and street atlases and all sorts of other products, uh, paper-based. And uh, that kind of blew up in 2008, which then I jumped into real estate full-time at that point. What a time to jump into real estate. In two- yeah, 2008, for those who don't remember, that was really the start of the Great Recession. And in Florida, it lasted until at least 2012. Uh, 2012 is when we finally started seeing properties come back. So how did you survive through that, the Great Recession there? We actually thrived. Um, you know, Jane's an attorney, so she does mortgage foreclosures. So her practice was going crazy during that time. She couldn't hire attorneys quick enough. Uh, so as fast as she was making cash, you know, our, our 30 rental homes uh, really initially were really a, a, a huge anchor around our neck because tenants couldn't pay. Right? Both husband and wife get lose their jobs. Now they can't pay their rent. Now they stay in the house. Now we have to evict them. Then they damage the house on the way out, pissed off at the world. And and it was quite a time um, just trying to kind of get our hands all around that and, and stay solvent. Um, luckily, we were able to do that. We didn't lose anything, didn't go bankrupt um, and and pulled out of it. But in, in 2008, when I jumped in full time, I didn't realize what had really gone on in the housing market, Joe. And so I um, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do full-time after the mat business collapsed. And, uh, one of my friends said, well, why don't you jump into the, um, into the real estate business? You've been doing that kind of part-time anyway with all your rental houses. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. And they said, no, you should really check it out. And they, they told me to go to an auction, uh, it was with, um, Williams and Williams. And I went to this auction and I had just planned to observe and uh, I get to the, the auction and it's one of these ones where they have it at the house and there's a speaker in the middle of the yard and there's an auctioneer there and they start auctioning off the house. Yeah, 20, 20, 20, 30, 30, 30. And they auction off the house. And I, I was amazed. I'm watching this. They were auctioning off two houses, one of them in Sanford, one of them in Deltona. And uh, they finished the one in Sanford and started the one in Deltona. And the... Uh, the auctioneer started and nobody bid. There was 11 guys, 11 people on the lawn with little paddles and nobody put up their paddle to bid, even a minimum bid, $10,000. This was a little mackle home up in Deltona, double lot, fenced yard, just been painted, new appliances. Nobody bid on it. And so the auctioneer actually stopped the process and said, is anybody interested? And I kind of looked around and I said, I raised my hand. I said, yeah, I'm interested. He goes, well, where's your paddle? Did you not register for the auction? I said, I didn't know I needed to. He goes, so somebody grabbed me and took me to the side and got me registered. And he said, uh, uh, he said, he was a lot older than me. He said, son, I've been doing this for a long time. He said, I've never seen any of the uh, lenders except a minimum bid, which is $10,000, which is what you can bid. He said, I've never seen them accept that, but I have seen them accept bids of 15000 and over. So what would you like to bid on this property? And I said, well, I'd really like to call my wife. I called Jane and said, Jane, I'm going to buy a house, another house. And she said, what? You know, I I said, honey, it's $15,000. And she said, did you say 55? I said, no, 15, one five. She said, well, buy it. And that's the first house I bought in our self-directed Roth IRA and paid $15,000 for it. And it was just crazy. So I followed around the auction 
circuit for probably a year or so until it went online and then it just went crazy and people were bidding stupid prices and and so that didn't work anymore so then i started going to the courthouse steps and all sorts of other sources to source properties to buy properties and uh yeah it was it was quite the time it was it was fun it was something different every day and i absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it yeah at some point you got out of residential and into commercial. So tell us about that transition, how you did that and why. Yeah, well, we, so in 2008, as I progressed through, I started selling properties turnkey. So I'd buy the property, rehab the property, put a tenant in the property and sell that property to investors. Um, as, as that process continued, I had one of the investors that I sold the property to and he turned around six months later and sold it for a 40 profit. And I said, wait a minute, I hear I'm trying to set it up for investors. And now I have an investor that turned my property in six months and made an extra 40 grand that I really left on the table. So I said, no, I'm going to start flipping to owner occupants. So we basically geared up, uh, started uh, doing basically the same process, except selling to owner occupants. And uh, that process lasted from well, maybe 2017, 18 through 2021. And then it got so competitive, Joe, that we did, I think we did 40 to 50 properties in 2021 and uh, got to the end of the year and we made under a hundred thousand dollars. And I said, we just, we've made way too, too, taken too much effort, too much time, spent too much money, um, you know, making up just isn't worth it. So we said, let's shut the thing down. And right at the end of 2021, I'd taken one of my commercial properties and uh, exchanged it out through a 1031 exchange. And as I really got analyzing that 1031 exchange, I went, oh my goodness, I've been missing it. And so a lot of our houses that we had purchased during you know, 2008 to 2012, because we were holding some as well, as many as we could, as many as our cash flow allowed, but a lot of the properties from the 90s were paying off, right? So you see that huge amount of appreciation. So when I started really analyzing that and looking at my return on equity, I went, oh my gosh, I've missed the mark. I should have been turning these properties quicker. I've always looked at my return on investment. Well, in the, you know, that time frame, 2008 to 2012, People are buying houses for forty, fifty thousand, sixty thousand dollars. So extremely low prices. And all of a sudden they appreciate to two in 2021. You go, there's a huge amount of equity there. So when I started looking at my return on equity, that really became the catalyst for me to say it's time to turn that property, get out of this property, whether I jump into single family homes or in, you know, double down, sell those and, and use it as a down payment for more properties, or whether I jump into another asset class. That was kind of the, the, the decision. And uh, we jumped into, decided to jump into industrial properties, so commercial industrial properties. So we were, we were trying to take, say, roughly four homes paid off at 250 each is about a million dollars. So if I had a million dollars in equity, when I really started to analyze it, I said, if I don't have a mortgage on these homes and see, I'm renting them out at $1,500 a month, I'm roughly generating and keeping in my pocket about 750 a month after all my taxes, insurance and maintenance and, you know, property management fees and all the fees that go, the vacancy, everything that goes along with it. So I said four houses at 750 a piece is $3,000 a month. $3,000 a month times 12 months is $36,000 a year. $36,000 a year based on a million dollars in equity is only a 3.6% return. I went, yeah, I, I don't, 
I don't like that return. That's not good enough. I want it to be at least above five, if not seven to ten percent return. So I go, how do I re-leverage and re you know, you know, jump into another asset class? And so we basically sold through the 1031 exchange. And for your listeners who don't know what a 1031 exchange is, it's a it's part of the IRS tax code 1031. And um, basically you exchange one investment property for any other type of investment property. So going to be raw land to other raw land, raw land to investment homes, investment homes to raw land, anything, as long as it's investment to investment. So we went to the bank, said, Mr. Banker, I've got a million dollars in equity setting here. How much will you lend me if I buy another property? And they said, great, we'll loan you 75% loan to value. Well, it's not quite that simple, right? Where's your personal financial statement? Where's all your tax returns? The typical stuff that a bank's going to do. Uh, they, they look at it and say, great, we'll, we'll loan you 75% loan to value. So if you've got a million dollars, we'll loan you three. We basically then take that, uh, that million dollars, knowing that we've got a, a loan from the bank for three million. We go find a roughly $4 million commercial property, buy that commercial property. And now that commercial property throws off anywhere between, let's say, 10 to 12,000 a month. So now I'm making, instead of 36,000 a year, I'm making someplace between 120 and 150,000 a year. I go, wait a minute, this is this is good. I like this. Now, granted, I had to sign on a three million dollar and get my wife to sign on a three million dollar loan, which is sometimes the harder <laughs> part. But you know, it it really propelled us kind of to that next level. And it's not something that I really anticipated or planned for. It's just something I think that you know, as you're kind of in the midst of it and you're looking at What's the next step? What do I do? How do I, you know, how do I move myself forward? It was just something that kind of happened. And now I get looking at it, Joe, and I go, wow. So, you know, the power of the 1031 by not having to pay the tax, right? So I had those rental homes from the 90s. So some of them I had owned 25 years. A lot of them I had paid off. So maybe some of them I did own longer, longer than that because they were all on 30-year fixed rate uh, mortgages. but to look at that and go, wow, I, I I took depreciation on those homes for all that time, right? I enjoyed the cash flow off those homes all that time. Intrinsically, I was like, this is good. I understand the business. I don't want to move into something new because there's risk there. But I go, if I don't move and take that next step, I'm, I'm never going to learn. I'm never going to grow. And um, so it, it was really you know, a great thing for us. We ended up doing nine 1031s in 2022. We call it our our real life monopoly year because we basically took four green houses and bought red hotels. And uh, yeah, it was, <laughs> it, it's been tremendous. It's been life-changing. Um, you know, even from the aspect of most of the commercial buildings have, um, especially on the industrial side, have at least five-year leases. And most of them are all triple net leases. Uh, so triple net lease, the tenant is paying the taxes, the insurance and the maintenance. So, you trade these houses that you're, you know, constantly, maybe not every year, but, you know, every other year or every third year, maybe churning a tenant through, and then you got to repair them and fix them up and do whatever needs to be done. And you're managing them and the, the AC goes out and it needs a new roof and it needs, you know, paint and it needs this and it needs that. And trading all of that for one property that basically you do very little on. You're responsible for the roof and that's about it. So on top of just that process in and of itself, then we looked at it and said, my goodness, now we've got this $4 million building. We can do a cost segregation study 
and push a substantial sum of that depreciation forward. So now I don't pay any tax on the income that I'm receiving. On top of it, um, you know, I'm, I'm a broker, so I receive a commission because I represent myself in the purchase of that property. Commission of two and a half or three percent on a four million dollar building—that's someplace between one hundred and one hundred and twenty thousand. Well, all that income is sheltered as well through this cost segregation. So, it's you know the 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 steps that that you know kind of that we went through are, are pretty easy and simple, and it was just kind of figuring out that next step, which I think should be easy for a lot of single family home investors, but it's just it's the risk, right? That they, they're going to have to jump out and sign their name on a, on a substantial loan. And, you know, it, it, I wish I could get the message out to more people that it's, it's relatively easy. In fact, I'd love to manage their commercial property form, right? That's my, that's my, my other business is a property management business. So I took a lot of the investors that I had, purchased homes for, and I was managing their properties. And I said, here's what we just did. And so we, we helped, we've only helped one individual that's jumped in now, and he's now purchasing his third commercial building and we're managing all those for him, but we helped him find them, right. And helped him get them the financing set up. Cause we kind of know the steps now, and it's been a pretty simple process. So I, I hope to help a lot more people kind of make that transition and, uh, it's, it's, it's been wonderful. And then Joe, you look at kind of the next step from there, right? Cause you're always looking, where's the next step? Where do you go? And I'm looking at the 1031. I'm going, oh my gosh, if I buy the right property and let's say in three to five years, right? I say, okay, I've improved that property. I've somehow created value in that property and I've created another, let's say million dollars in equity. So I went into it with a million dollars. And then by principal pay down and appreciation and improving the value of the property because a commercial property is based on a cap rate, the sale side. And so I'm able to generate another million dollars. I sell that property and I 1031 it again. And now you go through the same process and you say, Mr. Banker, I've just sold my commercial building. I now have $2 million in equity. How much will you loan me? Oh, Greg, yeah, we're, we like you. You've made all your payments. This is a wonderful thing. We'll now loan you $6 million. I go, wow, if there's six and my two, now I can buy an $8 million building. What type of cash flow does an $8 million building throw off? Well, now it's going to throw off 20000 $20, to 25000 And what type of commission do you get on an $8 million building? Right? And, and now what type of cost right. segregation study is done on an $8 million building? Now you just do the process all again. And so you can, you can replicate this every, uh, well, depending on the economy and where things are going and what interest rates are at and how things are flowing, you could replicate this product or this process every three to five years. So it's just like, wow, where do you, where do you get? And so I, I looked at it and said, how many 1031 iterations do I have left in my life? Right. Or, 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 or my mind, right. Which is going to run out first, my life from my mind. <laughs> Hopefully it's my life. I, 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 you know, I'd like to think that my mind will remain good well into my, into my eighties or hopefully nineties or technology, who knows at this point, but, uh, yeah, it's it's been it's been a, a a drastic change in what we were doing, and I've I've loved loved it every step of the way. It's just been phenomenal. Well, you make it sound easy and simple, but you're you're throwing out terms, and and you, I'm hearing two things there: education and risk comfort. So, yes, to me, where did you? And this is what a lot of people are going to ask: is where did you learn? Because you're throwing out terms like. ROI, return on equity, 
triple net 1031, you're throwing out terms that sound like Greek to a lot of folks and who are in real estate. Uh, Where did you learn how to do your analysis of a, of a building, of a lease uh, before you buy it and, and how you're going to know that, well, this is going to make the money or it's not. And how did you determine what, because there's commercial, there's, there's shopping centers, there's office buildings, which a lot of people are staying away from now. There, there is the industrial warehouse, like you're talking about. How did you decide what asset class you were going to get into? How did you, how did you educate yourself? Where did you get your education about all of this? Books, podcasts, that, that's basically it. Um, and, and a lot of trial and error. Now, I, I was, uh, I guess, um, had some commercial property to begin with. So I own my own, just like you, I own my own office building, right? Uh, through the map business, we owned a big commercial warehouse, um, or a 60,000 square foot warehouse. That was our, our distribution center that, that we were able to keep uh, from the map days. I had a little bit of basic knowledge on industrial real estate because of that. And that's where I was comfortable. So that's what I jumped into. Um, I had already jumped in 2016. I had jumped into um, self-storage, which I absolutely love self-storage um, and assisted living. Uh, and that's a, that's a whole nother story. Our assisted living is, is quite the story in and of itself. And we're still struggling through that one right now. But um, yeah, the whole self-storage thing has been, has been wonderful. In fact, we bought, we bought three facilities, um, expanded one of them, ended up selling them in 2020 and 21 because we just got such unbelievably in my mind, stupid offers. I mean, offers that you just go, you're going to pay me how much? Okay, it's yours, right? Everything's for sale at a price. And and they hit the price. And I said, yeah, done. Get get rid of these things. I thought we could jump into other ones, but finding out just kind of like the the rehab business, it got so competitive and everybody was looking at, uh, at self-storage facilities that we couldn't find um, a whole lot of decent deals that we could add value to or create some sort of value. So we, we started... Uh, uh, basically entitling raw land. So we were buying five acre parcels, entitling them for self storage, and then getting ready to build. It's it's just kind of a progression in, in each asset class and be kind of, you know, understanding it and becoming somewhat of an expert. I'm certainly not the expert, but I certainly know enough to hopefully to, you know, make, make the right decisions and, and make some, make some deals with some positive cash flow. So how did you get comfortable then with the risk? Cause going from, you know, hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollar mortgages to million dollars of mortgages. How did you get yourself yeah. comfortable to go? Okay, we can well, sign this, and I'm not going to panic, have a panic attack every five minutes. Yeah, m- most of these deals, Joe, they're that we took over at least already had tenants in place. So, you know, in in the one in, in the first deal I did in 2021, we took over a 10 year lease with seven years left on the lease. So, you know created uh, credit rated tenant, uh, been in the property for 13 years. So they were in the second term of a, they had already finished one 10 year term. They had exercised their option and were, were in their second 10 year term. So pretty good certainty that they were going to stay. Right. So I, I know I've got seven years of a good tenant. I look at where my, you know, where the value would potentially be and where my, my principal pay down would be at that seventh year and go, yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable with this. And that's how most of the deals progressed, where it was, you know, three to five years left on a, uh, on a lease. And a lot of the buildings multi-tenant where, you know, there's different leases happening and, and expiring at different times. So the chances that you're going to get 
a big empty building with no tenants is pretty remote just because, you know, this one's expiring in 2027. This one's expiring in 2028. This one's expiring in 2029. So you got a pretty good idea of, you know, the cash flow and how things are going to go. And once you get one going, it's, it's kind of like what I experienced with a house. You get, you get one house going, well, this house was vacant. Well, the, the profit from this house covers this one. Should they both, you know, should one of them go vacant? Should they both go vacant? Now you got some issues, right? Now you got cash flow problems, but you know, keeping enough cash flow back is, has been my biggest problem, you know, keeping that reserve, uh, especially when you get into to bigger type, uh, bigger type deals. So, yeah, I just, just ask my wife. That's, that's, that's one of her concerns. Do we have enough cash? Should, you know, should a big, big problem happen? So do you keep a number in your mind of what you, you just keep a number in your mind of what you always want to have in reserve and you just hold that back at all times? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's key when you get into the bigger deals because these, uh, um, you know, I, I talk about our, our distribution center that we had, the big warehouse. And, you know, in, in 2008, um, what I experienced in the single family side was I lost 30% of my tenants. And of those 30% that I lost, probably the majority of them I had to evict and quite a large percentage of damage to the house. But I had this commercial warehouse at that point and I had a five-year lease and so that tenant continued to pay me through 2011. So I rode that out. So the commercial side basically helps support the residential side in 2008 when everything went down. And then just the reverse happened because in 2011, that tenant's lease came up and I had a vacant 60,000 square foot building for 18 months. So Jane and I were sweating it. Every month we had about a 25 nut to cover to pay for that commercial building and pay the mortgage. And uh, yeah, it about squeezed us to death, but it, uh, um, it finally leased up. And luckily during, you know, 2008 through 2011, we were able to get all the residential homes back up and, uh, and monetizing. And so once those came up, those helped support the commercial building until it got leased up. So, you know, it was just the reverse. The commercial subsidized the residential when the residential went down and the residential then subsidized the commercial until the commercial got back up and going. So it was, it was, uh, it was kind of a nice play. And I was certainly glad I had that sort of diversification, uh, during that, uh, during the 2008 kind of through 2000 downturn. Yeah. It's a lot so, of lessons learned. So what does a day in the life look like to you? I typically, you know, I'm, I'm the age where I, I wake up about 5 AM. Now I, I go to bed at nine. <laughs> so I'm one of those. And, and so I get up and, and exercise. I, uh, I have, uh, I'm on a, a Bible reading app where, you know, you're going through the Bible on a year. So there's a certain amount of reading, um, that I, that I like to do there. And then I, I like to listen to podcasts or read, read a book. And, you know, that time in the morning is, is great for me because I'm not getting any phone calls. I'm not getting any emails. Nobody's texting me. Right. Most other people, I don't know if they're sleeping or what they're doing, but it's just, it's great time for me to think and kind of strategize and, uh, and just get myself ready for the day. And then Joe, I create a list. I, I, I can get somewhere between 10 and 13 things done in a day. So I just make my list. These are the most important things that I need to get done in the day. And then I rank them and then I just start checking them off. Here's what I do. 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 I get to the end of some days, right. And I got so many interruptions. I only got four done. I get to the end of some days and I've got them all checked off and it's like, great. Now I can look towards the next day and what I need to get done. So, so uh, 
Well, I've I've really got yeah, the most, property most people managed. I think are glad if they can get three things done in a day. Well, sometimes it's not three. Sometimes it's one. But uh, you know, a, a lot of the most I think, <laughs> like I said, that I, that I can get is probably somewhere in the ten to thirteen range. So, um, but I, the property management side has been tremendous for me because I manage all my own properties as well as for other investors. So I seem to attract the. Uh, the investor that is looking for somebody to look at this deal with an investor's mindset. And that's how I look at all my investors. It's like, okay, if this was my property, what would I do? And then I give them that advice. And most of the time they, you know, they accept that advice and, and we move forward. And so, you know, I, I love the ma property management. I've got a great what staff is, uh, that's been with me for decades. Pay enough attention to Early on, boy, that's, uh, hmm. I think probably that, the price really doesn't matter that much. Negotiating on price, I was so fixated on trying to get the best deal that um, that I think I missed a lot of good deals, good solid deals, because I just had to get the best deal. And looking at it now, it really didn't matter whether I paid $3,000 more for that deal or $5,000 more, right? It, it almost becomes irrelevant over time. So I think that would be my, my biggest takeaway is, you know, negotiate, but don't negotiate so hard you lose the deal because that deal may be one of the best deals that you, that you, you know, that you ever find. So be willing to, to pay a little bit more for something because in the long run, it's going to pay long-term dividends for you. What's something that people can expect to struggle with along the way as they move through any kind of uh, owning or running their own business? What are some things that they can expect Boy, that they're uh, going to absolutely struggle with? My biggest things were cash flow, you know, just with the ups and downs of the economy and, and, you know, where things are going and what's happening. My, my biggest thing was, was by far cash flow. Uh, second was probably employees, you know, just trying to keep good employees and, and motivate good employees and, and, uh, um, you know, provide a, uh, uh, some upward mobility for those employees. And, and I think probably cash flow employees, they were the, probably the two biggest things that, uh, that really affected me. Do you think you've solved them now? Um, to a large degree? Yes. Just through, through training, you know, not that, you know, God forbid, you know, we have somebody that, <laughs> that gives their notice today, but, uh, yeah, I think, um, I've got some tremendous people that they, they know the business. They know what to do. And, and, you know, they'd always come to me and say, what about this? And I'd say, what do you think? What do you think the best three things we could do with this? So it's kind of a training process to say, if you own this property, what would you do? And they'd say, da, 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 da. And they'd say, yeah, that's exactly what I would do. Do it. And so it's, it's going through that process and getting them to the point where they know what I would do probably maybe sometimes better than I do, Joe. And, and, and they handle it. So I, I got involved with a group called Sharper Process. And, um, it was a whole, uh, it was a, a, a system basically to, to manage your business. And so Sharper helped us get the right people in the right seat. So they did, uh, a bunch of, uh, uh, a bunch of tests with everybody, personality tests and that sort of thing. And they said, uh, prescriptive index. And they said, Greg, this is a wonderful person, nothing wrong with this person, but you just got them in the wrong spot. You need to put them over here, Right. And so it was, it was that process of getting the right people in the right seats and then getting our processes down. So everybody understood them and they were written. So if somebody did leave, we've got our written processes down. And then we just now have for each business that I've got, we have an hour and a half meeting 
once a week. And other than that, I let everybody do their thing. They work from home. If they want to work from the office, the office is there. But guess what? Nobody works in the office. I go into the office now and it's like, yeah, there's nobody here. This is boring. Um, I, you know, quite frankly, I don't know if I even need an office because everybody enjoys working from home. So it's, uh, yeah, I think just, you know, getting, getting it set up and it, it does take a while. I mean, I spent, you know, years and years and years, you know, on the property management side doing it myself and then software comes out and you go, oh my gosh, it solves this. And now it's in technology improves this and the software can do this and this and this and this. And now, Joe, my gosh, with, with AI and what's going on right now, you go, mind the sky's the limit. I mean, it's, it's an exciting time to be alive. It's just amazing. The things that we're going to see change. And I'm so excited for it. I am I don't too. Know, I, am I, too. I, I, I like forgot what, what questions. No, no, no. You, yeah, yeah. No, it's great. Uh, I, I, and, and it sounds like what you guys were using is the, the entrepreneur operating system traction by Joe yeah. Wickman. It sounds like it's EOS. based on that, which is what, yeah, it's the same thing we operate on. Uh, a lot of our, our folks that are part of this master series, they use some form or fashion. My, my group I use, they focus on law firms, uh, some folks on real mm -hmm. estate, some folks on dental offices, but it is just a wonderful way, easy way to run a business. I just love it because they come in via Zoom, right? They're the moderator. They come in and say, okay, what are the issues? Everybody's got, we use some software called Asana. I don't know if you use Asana or not, but basically they're, they're able to add stuff in and here's all the issues we need to deal with this week. And here's the issues from last week and who's going to do what. And they basically take notes on everything. And Joe, you're responsible for this. And so next week comes up, Joe, did you get this done? I don't have to be the one to say, Joe, why didn't you get this done? They're asking the question. I get to come alongside you and say, Joe, Obviously, you didn't get it done this week. What were the problems? How can I help you solve this problem? Right. So I get to I get to be I did, rather than being the the bad guy, I get to come along and be the good guy and help you accomplish what you need to accomplish to to push my business forward, well, to push push your career forward, to you know to get you skills and do whatever else. So I I really like that side of it that somebody else is is keeping track on who's doing what. There's accountability. They get an email on what they're supposed to get done that week. They know they're going to be accountable the next week on, on what they got or didn't get done. And yeah, the whole process has just been great for, I, I think it would be great for any business. Just the structure of, of that type it, of environment is wonderful for a business. It really is. It, um, the big thing is the accountability. And a lot of people don't understand what that means. I go, so for people who don't get it, I go, it's who's responsible for getting this done. And so many businesses they'll just say, well, this needed to get done, but who was the person in charge of it? And no balls are hit to right center field and everybody going, well, I thought you were going to catch it. It's always, <laughs> ultimately it was you and you can't then sit back and say, well, she didn't get me what I needed or she didn't. That's not an excuse. You're responsible yep. to get it done, get it done. However you have to get it done. And if you do have someone who's not respond to you. You don't walk into the meeting and say, well, I didn't get it done because they didn't do what they were supposed to do. That should have been handled before we ever got into this meeting uh, through whatever channels had to get handled. Uh, you need to take yep. care of that. So yeah, we use it religiously. Uh, we use 90.io as our uh, system of record that, that keeps track of all of our issues and to-dos and rocks and our accountability chart and all that good stuff. But uh, I think as long as you just have something, I, I work with another group, they basically use Google Docs and Google Sheets 
to keep track of yeah. everything. So, you know, it's that's like it really the big thing. do you have a, do you have a dashboard of, uh, key performance indicators that you yes. look at yep. regularly to tell you how you're doing every week, every week we go over those, those key indicators and say, where are we at? Do we have an issue? Is this trending down? Is this trending up? You know, it was really key, um, you know, during the, uh, during COVID, you know, are people going to pay or aren't they going to pay? So we really track closely. Are people paying? How many people have not paid this month? How many people, you know, where's that, where are things trending, you know, just for our cash flow? And then obviously to, to make sure we were taking as good a care as we could of our investors or, you know, the, the, the property owners, um, it was, it was key to have those, those metrics uh, and, and know them inside and out. So yeah, very important. Um, and I think something else that's that was really key to me, Joe. I got I got involved in 2014 in um, an investors cruise, and the cruise it's I think we spent three days on land, and then uh, taking all sorts of classes. <clears throat> it was through a um, a group called the Real Estate Radio Guys. They have a pretty popular podcast, so maybe some of your your listeners have uh, have seen that. But it was. Uh, it was great. It was called their summit cruise and we'd go on this cruise every year. And the reason that I liked the cruise was, is that you get on the ship, right? And then there's classes, but they'd set up a meal every night. So you got to sit at the table with one of the speakers. And it wasn't like, you know, you go to an event, you see the speaker on stage, the event ends, everybody goes out the back door, the speaker, you know, is behind the stage and they have their other door. You never get to interact or talk to them. So, this I really enjoyed just because of the interaction and the ability to, to get some one-on-one -on -one time with the speakers and say, hey, here's what's going on. How would you solve this? Or, or what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? One of the speakers was, was Robert Kiyosaki. So we got to know Robert fairly well, you know, seeing him five years in a row for, for a week. You spend five weeks with somebody over five years, you get to know him a little bit. Um, but just, you know, that type of individual that I would never, ever get any FaceTime with or, or any personal time with at all. And uh, the cruise provided that. So it was, it was tremendous. And then the type of people that attended that were just the type of people that I want to be around. They were all, they were all doing something different. They all had a different take. They all were, uh, you know, they, they were all really competent at what they were doing. And so it was just good to share stories and hear what other people were doing. And, and uh, yeah, it, it, it was really, really beneficial to Jane and I, I went the first year um, without Jane. And then every year after that, we, we ended up taking or going together and ended up then taking our son, Nick on, on one. And he went, he went twice with us and he was impacted by that as well. So I think it's, um, you know, the educational side was, was really key for me. Um, in 2008 through probably 2014, I was just so busy doing the stuff I was doing that I didn't really pay attention. But now looking back, I go, I wish I would have paid more attention to my education and probably since 2016 or 17, Joe, I've, I've kept every little lanyard you get with your name on it. I've kept them and they're hanging on my wall in my office. You know, it's a, it's a thick thing now about this big around and it comes down. But I go, you know what? I've spent a ton of money on my education now. You know, that's proof of that's some proof of it. Um, and just to be able to look at that and go, OK, how many dollars have I spent? Right. Plane fare, right. Rental cars or Ubers and the meals and the time and the effort and, you know, the note-taking and the, you know, all of that. And then the entrance fee and you go, wow, I've spent, I bet you I've spent a million and a half dollars on my education since 2014. And you go, wow. So in 10 years, 
I spent over a million dollars. So I've maybe spent hundred dollars to $150,000 a year on my education, right? Mastermind groups and, you know, CFRI, I absolutely love. Um, you know, I think it provides uh, such, a, such a tremendous uh, education for people uh, just getting in and more experienced investors. Yeah, that's, that's one thing that I would highly, highly recommend is, is the educational side. And it's so easy now with podcasts. You, know, you put this out and how many people are going to listen to it and benefit from it. So I just did, a, did another podcast yesterday and I, I developed something called the Idea Quadrant, which is basically how to analyze a property. And you're asking how I look at them. And I use this Idea Quadrant to, to analyze property. And, you know, it, it gives me the, the income, the depreciation, the equity through the amortization schedule that I'm, I'm receiving, and then the appreciation. And uh, it's, it's a key thing that I use for my decisions. Wow. Well, and that seems to be a theme that's running through these, uh, as I talk to people, that uh, surrounding yourself with the right people uh, is, is very important. And those educational opportunities are usually where you are surrounding yourself with people. And that's probably some of the biggest pushback I get from my crew, from friends and family. You know, they're like, why are you spending all this money flying around and going to, to these uh, things? Why are you joining this cult? Is, you know, they joke about that. Why are you yes. joining this cult? To, you know, it's, there, it's it's not, it's really just trying to better yourself. And, you know, a lot of times you have to just turn those people off, turn that, turn that noise off in the background go, that's nice. I know you guys don't like this and you don't get it, but I know what I'm getting out of it and I can see what I'm getting out of it. So I'm going to continue doing it. Um, yep. One of the, one of our, our biggest mission is helping people aspire to a better life. And so the last question I always like to ask during these uh, talks is who is someone who had that impact on you to help you aspire, help, help your aspirations to a better life where you are today? Well, I, I think early on it was, uh, you know, growing up, I grew up in Michigan. I think it was probably our local pastor, you know, just seeing how he treated people and he didn't treat the bank president any different than he treated the, the janitor of the school. Right. And so I, I think I really um, appreciated that and, and learned from that, 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 you know, everybody has worth and you need to treat everybody like you'd want to be treated. So maybe you know, the golden rule, but uh, I, I saw that played out um, in his life and that had a, a real impact on me. And, and then I think sports coaches, uh, just seeing a lot of the coaches that I had, Joe, they wouldn't ask you to do anything that they wouldn't do themselves. So if you need to go out and run five miles, they're going to be right there with you running the five miles with you, showing you that they can do it too. I don't want to teach on anything that I haven't personally done myself. I see gurus teaching stuff that they haven't done. And until you've done it, there's a certain aspect of it that you just really don't understand. So I want to get a good grasp of it by doing it myself before I endeavor to teach it. And then the reason I want to teach it is because when I know I have to get up on a stage and teach something, I'm going to learn it so much better and prepare myself because I know people are going to ask questions that I don't know the answers to. So I better know my material inside and out. And it forces me to internalize it. And I don't know if that's just me or if a lot of other people are that way. But for me, it's, it's very important um, to do it, have gone through it be able, before I teach it. And, and then teaching is, is kind of the last uh, 
um, the last step for me to to internalizing and understanding it even better. Because going over that material at that level, you you tend to learn a lot more. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's you know. And then all the all the business guys, you know, there's there's just a ton of them that I've learned from. You know, Eddie Wilson it's is one of that. That you're you're. The, the person who inspired you, your, your aspirations the most, it's not a business guru uh, and it's not anything to do with necessarily business, but it's uh, just being a good person, you know, and, and expecting life, yeah. to get goodness back if you put goodness out there. Uh, That's great. Yeah. It's- Thank you so much for, for coming on today and, and being with us. I know you're, you're up in the Ocala forest uh, living up there. <laughs> But uh, what you've had to, to, to give today means so much to everybody. Again, thank you very much. We're going to have uh, your, your contact information down in the program notes and everything. So if anybody has Great. any more questions for, for Glenn or me, feel free to reach out to us and uh, we'll get back to you just as soon as we can. And with that, we're out today. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for listening to this edition of Trust This. If you got something out of it, please press like and subscribe and give us a five-star review to help us reach others who can benefit from this series. Until next time, keep aspiring to a better life.